Good morning. Well, we have some that have graduated already. We have some that will be graduating this week. And I got to tell you, my senior year in high school was the most fun year I ever had in school because it was kind of a, kind of a blow-off year. Uh, this was back before dual credit and all that kind of stuff. And so I only had to take one class. I only was required to take one class, an English class, because I'd met all the other requirements. So I had a bunch of filler classes, if you will. I took food and clothing, where I learned how to make peanut brittle and sew pants together. Um, I had two study halls. I had one before lunch, one after lunch. Playing sports when football season was over, I got out of school at 1.30 or 2 o'clock every day, so that was nice. My favorite class, though, was my second study hall. It was the one right after lunch, and I had a lot of my friends in that study hall, and we all went to the library every day, not to study, not to read, but to play checkers. And we got really good at checkers. And we'd have tournaments and all those kind of things, and if you know anything about checkers, you know that in order to be good, you got to get a king, at least one, right? And so the goal is to move your checkers to the other end of the board, and then you get to that last row and you tell your opponent, king me. And he has to take one of the checkers and put it on top of yours, and now you've got a stack and you can move any direction you want to go, right? That's the best part about being king. That's why you want to be king, so you can move in any direction that you want to go. And many people look at their life as a disciple the same way. I want to move in any direction I want to go. It's Burger King theology. Have it your way. And so they want to move in any direction. They don't want anybody really telling them where to go unless they get trapped. Then they want God to intervene. Kind of like when, you're, when you have a king on the checkerboard and you've got your opponent trapped on the side. You know, he's got to move. But as soon as he does, you're going to jump him. We get trapped. We get in that position. And then we want God to bail us out. Then we want him to step in. Otherwise, we want to move in any direction that we want to go without anyone telling us what we can do. We all want to be crowned until we get trapped. And A.W. Tozer said this. He said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. It's like many people want to be saved, but they want Christ to do all the dying. And like the Geico commercial says, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You cannot be both king and subject at the same time. So I think before we go any further, it's important to set some foundational principles when it comes to being a disciple. What are some things that we need to know going forward as a disciple? Maybe things we already know, but things that we need to be reminded of. First and foremost, Discipleship is a personal investment in someone other than yourself. Jesus died for you, so you die for him. In fact, you spend your entire life doing that. It is a daily proposition. You don't die to yourself one time. If you know anything about being a disciple, you know that this is a daily proposition. Living it out daily is not as easy as it sounds. Like I said, we know a lot of this. But putting it into action is a whole lot more difficult. But remember the concept involved in discipleship. It's about following. That's what a disciple is. He's a learner. A Christian is a Christ follower. And being a follower means you, you look up every now and then to see where the leader is leading you. You don't look to the side for a shortcut. 
You don't look to the side to see if you can veer off and cut your own path. You look ahead, staying hot on the heels of the one who is leading you. Secondly, discipleship means understanding that there's more at stake than just the here and now. Again, easy to say, hard to do. But if you've dealt with adversity in your life, maybe you say, well, God, that's not fair. God never, God never told you it'd be fair. Jesus never guaranteed that a life of discipleship would be fair. In fact, he promised the opposite, didn't he? And so we remember in those times of trial and tragedy, as well as in the times of comfort and convenience, that being a disciple means that I follow, no matter what the, the, the trail, no matter where it leads, because I understand that my life as a disciple is about more than just the here and now. Do I want God both when it's convenient and when it's not? Is comfortability the prerequisite for me being a disciple? How we answer those questions will determine how we follow. Third, discipleship will inevitably lead to conflict with the world's ethics, values, priorities, and goals. It just will. You cannot be a fence straddler here. You cannot have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Again, that's not how this works. You have to be all in, both feet firmly planted in the kingdom. Again, it's hard, it's difficult, but we must understand what being a disciple is all about. It's not about compromising with the world. In fact, there is no compromise with the world because the world does not care about kingdom values. And so therefore, you can't have a foot in the world. And finally, discipleship means that we follow even when following doesn't benefit us. As we've said before, I, th I think many people are all in in a relationship with Jesus so long as he's blessing them. As long as a relationship with God is a blessing to them, as long as everything is working out, as long as they are hedged in, so to speak, they are all in. But as soon as trials and tribulations come, are you still all in? Are you still following? Knowing that your life is about something bigger than the here and now, knowing that this life is about being like Jesus. The goal of this life is not to get to heaven. The goal of this life is to be like Jesus. And if you strive to be like Jesus in the good times and the bad, that will shape you that will mold you, and the destination will never be in question. So, we often look at discipleship as giving our all to God, giving everything to Him. It's kind of like we said a few weeks ago, you have $1,000 and you put it in and you say, I'm all in, God. Here's everything that I have, I'm all in. But you know, discipleship is more like taking that $1,000 and going to the bank and cashing it in and asking for smaller bills. And they say, well, what do, you, what do you want, 20s? And you say, no, just give it to me all in quarters. And then you go throughout your life, a quarter here, a quarter there, 50 cents here, love my enemies, turn the other cheek, all those things. It's a daily proposition. It's not a decision that we make one time that we're all in, we're completely invested. No, it's a daily proposition, right? You die to yourself every day. You choose this master-subject uh, relationship every single day, right? You're in it for the long haul. We're trying to live daily, not a one-time payment for life. It's incremental and intentional, day by day, step by step. That's the challenge of discipleship. So, I want to ask you this. What do you think is the greatest invention in the last, say, 100 years? Maybe the color television, air conditioning. I want to submit to you 
that it's this. Plato's great, right? I mean, the great thing about Plato is you can open it up and it's kind of cold and clammy and you can shape it and you can mold it into anything that you want, right? People, animals, you can make it into a ball and throw it at your sister. I mean, you can do all kinds of things with it, right? It says on the, on the can, ages two years plus, which is great because that gives me justification for continuing to play with Plato. But what happens to Plato if you don't keep it sealed up in the can? What if you leave it out? Your kids have Play-Doh and they leave it out for an extended period of time? It looks like this. That's what happens to it. It gets brittle. It gets hard. You can't shape it or mold it any longer, right? And I think that's how some Christians become. Some Christians have, have long given up on following completely. They become hardened. They become brittle. You're no longer able, God's no longer able to shape them or mold them. We want to avoid that at all costs. And how do we avoid that at all costs? By continuing to be shapeable and moldable, by allowing God to guide us, being vulnerable and susceptible to his will, making sure that we are allowing him to have control of our lives. If you truly care about being a dedicated disciple, then you're going to be able to be Play-Doh in his hands. He can mold you and he can shape you into anything that he would like. You give God the power to change your agenda. You give him the, because he's going to do it anyway, right? But you allow him to lead the way. And I know that sounds simple, and I know that so many of us think that that's the way that we are. And yet when push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road in our faith, maybe not so much. I want to give you some scriptures here, and they'll be on the screen. But you might want to underline these in your Bible. Because all of these come from Proverbs, and they all relate to being guidable, to being moldable and shapeable. Proverbs 16.9 is the first one, and it reads, The mind of man plans his way, but... The Lord directs his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And then man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So you ask the question, should I get married should I take that job offer? Should I switch careers? Should I have children? Should I adopt? So many decisions come up in life that we desperately want to make the right choice. Some of these can be life-altering decisions. We just want to be certain that we're doing the right thing. If we could just ask God for a sign or, or even just a certified letter, that would be nice, right? If he'd just send me a text message and say, Chris, you're on the right track, go with that. But obviously, that's not how this works. And so we open ourselves up to God to allow him to shape us and mold us and to guide us. But it gets difficult because some of this is dire stuff. We want to make certain that we don't make a wrong choice here. We don't want to set ourselves back because we made the wrong decision. Our livelihood is at stake. And you know, here's another certainty that you've probably noticed is most of the time in life, when you make that decision, when you decide to walk through that open door of opportunity, a lot of times you don't know if it's the right door until many years later. Looking back on it, you decide, okay, yeah, that was either the right choice or the wrong choice. But in all of it, here's the key. 
Let God guide. Be moldable and shapeable. You know, it's been said that during the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln met with a group of ministers. And one of those ministers said to President Lincoln, they said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And President Lincoln said, no, let us pray that we are on God's side. I don't know if that's true. It seems like every quote today is attributed to Abraham Lincoln, right? But it's a good sentiment, and it's a right sentiment. Young Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. David said, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Saul, before he was Paul, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All of these are passages related to being guidable. Are you guidable? Are you allowing God's agenda to work in your life? That brings us to our passage this morning. Larry read it a moment ago. Was it Larry? Whoever did. Robert, sorry. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world does this random passage of Scripture have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Well, I think it has everything to do with being guidable, being moldable and shapeable. And the first thing that I want you to notice from this passage is that God's will is in the ordinary. I'm not sure that we always see that. You know, most of us do the same things at the same times on the same days every week, right? We have the same routine, and we we uh, reiterate that routine every single day, and that's okay. You know, to get up, to get your kids ready to go to school, for you to go to work, to come home, to cook supper, you know, all those things are important things, right? You shouldn't have to apologize for that. These are ordinary things, but they're, they're important things. They are things that have to be done each and every day. How do we find God's will within those ordinary things? Because most of your life is pretty ordinary. I think we believe that sometimes discipleship is about doing things that people will talk about for centuries to come. Becoming a legend in the faith. No. It's about being in God's will in the ordinary. You get up. You do what you got to do. And you perform God's will. You seek to do what he would have you to do. You know, many people struggle with the concept of purpose. They wonder, well, what is my purpose? I get that question a lot. I, I, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God has for me. I'll give it to you. You ready? You might want to write it down. Here's the secret. This is the secret sauce. You ready? I know the meaning of life for every one of you. It's to glorify God. You want to know what your purpose is? It's to glorify God. Don't search for it any longer. I'm telling you what it is. You can go to Scripture and it will tell you what it is. You all have the same purpose. Every single person has the same purpose. It is to glorify God. That is your purpose. You can do that in the ordinary. 
It's not about going to Africa and building an orphanage or giving a million dollars to some ministry. That's great. But God's will is found in the ordinary. You can glorify God in anything that you do. Paul and his companions knew what they were supposed to do. You catch that? Paul knew his mission. He and his companions knew the mission was to preach. That wasn't the question. The only question was, where do we do that at? They'd been turned away from one area. So where do you, know, here, where do you want us to go, God? Where, where, do you want us, where do you want us to end up? Because we know we've got to preach. We know that's the mission. Or in terms of what we're talking about this morning, to glorify God. I know I'm supposed to glorify God. I may be praying, okay, God, where do you want me to do that? How do you want me to do that? Those kind of things. But we know what the mission is. Wherever you find yourself, be Jesus and do God's will. Because our purpose is set. Just like Paul and his companions. Their purpose was set. They were to preach. If you're a doctor, see patients. Make it a ministry. If you're a mother, Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a CPA, crunch those numbers and make it a ministry. Whatever it is that you do in life, in word or deed, make it a ministry. Glorify God. God's will for, for a mother is, is, is more than just changing dirty diapers, but it's not less than that. God's will for a secretary is about more than answering phones, but it's not less than that. God's will for you is about more than, than just showing up for work, but it's not less than that. We all want the mountaintop experience, but that's not where life is lived. You know where life is lived? It's lived in the trenches. It's lived in the ordinary, the routine. Solomon wrote, whatever you, your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's okay to be ordinary. That's 99% of your life anyway. Find a way to glorify God in the ordinary. Whatever it is that your hand finds to do, whatever your daily routine consists of, give it all you got to the glory of God. But here's the second thing I want you to notice from Acts 16, 6 through 10. Verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word concluding here is key to our understanding because it means that Paul and Silas and Timothy considered all the facts and they reached a logical conclusion. They discussed the facts, they talked about the alternatives, they put the pieces together and they reached a logical conclusion. We could say theirs was a strategic utilization of mental faculties. I want you to also notice that after Paul saw the vision, he got ready to go immediately. When they considered everything, they realized that God was sending them to Macedonia. And you're thinking, well, duh. I mean, if somebody appeared to me in a vision and told me to go somewhere, I would figure it out pretty quick. But don't miss the point here. Don't overlook what's going on. While we can't rely on a vision today, we've got something that they didn't have. We've got the complete will of God. We've got the Bible as our guide. We've got this guiding counsel. But here's the deal. This guiding counsel needs to be coupled with logic and good sense. I think sometimes Christians can be totally illogical and unreasonable. God didn't intend for you to remove your brain from your head when you became a disciple. You know, sometimes I hear spiritual individuals talking about God and, and their relationship, and I listen to them talk, and I think, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Are you even reading the Bible? You know, they're going off feeling, they're going off emotion, they're going off maybe things that they had heard on TV or whatever, and I'm thinking, 
That defies logic and reason, and I don't think that's what God intended. You know, we, we want to we live out here in the periphery, and you know, we want to stay up in the cosmos and all this, and God has given us counsel, wise counsel, and it's got to be coupled with good sense. Listen to this. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Oh, okay, so you don't go to Judea because they were seeking to kill you. That makes sense, right? Logical, reasonable, common sense. I'm not going to go over there because they're trying to kill me. Here's the deal. When it comes to being guidable, when it comes to being a disciple, Jesus didn't ask us to follow him blindly. And he certainly didn't ask us to have a lobotomy and just take our brain out. I read about a church recently that was in a very rural community. This community was really, really small. And the leaders at this church of about 50 people decided, you know what, we're going to grow. We don't know how, but we're going to grow. We're going to pick up and we're going to move and we're going to build a multi-million dollar facility off the interstate. And we are going to build it so big that it will seek quadruple the size of what we have right now. And some people were skeptical. If you know anything about churches, you know that they really kind of go as their community goes. So if you have a small community that's dying out, a lot of times the church is, unfortunately. And that's what this situation was. It was a dying community. It was a small church. Not to say that the church wasn't vibrant and dynamic. But that church now is a shell of itself because many people left questioning the leadership. Why would you do this? Why would you put us in such great debt by building this huge building when we have no one to put in it that defies logic and common sense, right? We've got to be logical and reasonable. Christianity is not a brainless religion. Discipleship is not a call to abandon common sense. Use your head. Study the situation. Get all the facts that you can. Seek godly counsel. Pray. And then step out and do it. And I think we can logically assume that that's what Paul and his companions did. But here's something else that Paul and Silas and Timothy did. Once they surveyed the situation, once they reached the conclusion that God was calling them to Macedonia, they enacted the Nike principle. You know what that is? Just do it. They just did it. No more looking at the situation. You know, I think Christians can do that sometimes. Analysis, paralysis. We want to pray and pray and pray about it. And God's saying, okay, you prayed enough. Get out and do something. Right? Or we want to survey the situation for so long that the opportunity goes by. Common sense tells you at some point you got to get out and you got to do it. That's what Paul and his companions did. That's what we must do as well. No more talking about it. No more sitting around worrying about it. No more wrestling with it. You've studied it, you've, you've uh, employed common sense, you've prayed about it, now go and do it. Paul didn't know what was going to happen when they went to Macedonia. He didn't know what he would encounter on that trip. Guidability is by faith, not by sight. When God shows us his will, he doesn't show us the future, which means that we will have to understand that when we step out, we won't have 100% certainty. Did Noah know all the ins and outs of the flood when he started building the ark? Did Abraham have any clue where he was going? He just had a promise, right? Did Moses fully comprehend what it would mean to lead God's people? Did Gideon fully grasp God's plan to defeat the Midianites? We could go on and on, but you know, did Paul know what would happen, what would happen when he went to Rome? You look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that last part of the faith hall of fame as we call it. These people trusted in God in the face of personal turmoil and tragedy, even though they 
they didn't know all that was going to happen to them. They kept moving forward even though the circumstances were against them. You know, when my family and I were, were trying to make the decision about moving to Abilene, Texas, even before Abilene showed up on the radar, we talked about what the next move would be. We knew that there wasn't many opportunities where we were at for Libby. We also knew that it was, uh, you know, uh, probably a, a better option for us to come somewhere where the kids could have a, 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 a youth group and where, you know, they have a good school to go to, all those kind of things. And so we talked about all that. We prayed about all that. And lo and behold, Abilene becomes an option. And so we come down here and we, we, we meet with the elders, I preach on a Sunday, and we go back and we discuss it. Actually, we talked about it all the way home. And after surveying the situation, after getting on the internet and looking at schools and neighborhoods and checking out the city and looking at all these different things, we reached the conclusion that it was best for us to make the move. And that's been the case. It's been a great move. But what if we had gotten here and Oldham Lane was a dumpster fire? What if we had moved here and Abilene was not anything like the way it was presented? What if the people here had put on their best face and we got down here and realized this is a church in turmoil? What then? Can I still glorify God in that situation? You see, sometimes you use logic and reason, you pray about it, and you walk through that door of opportunity thinking it's the best possible decision for you and your family and maybe it doesn't work out the way you had planned what do we do in those situations well we remember that following Jesus means that we are his when it benefits us and when it doesn't following Jesus means that we are his even when the outcome isn't glorious and we keep in mind that following our Lord is about more than making right decisions when presented with the opportunities right Discipleship is a call to abandon ourselves, and it's a call that is beyond ourselves. It is a call to something greater than ourselves, to a greater purpose and a greater fulfillment than just earthly comfort. So it may be that things don't work out like you had planned, and that, and that may be exactly what God intended. Maybe you were the exact right person to be at that dumpster fire, to be in that position to help people. I hear people say sometimes, I don't know how I can carry on at work. I live in a very, I work in a very dark place. These people are just, they're rude, they're foul-mouthed, they're very immoral. I don't know what to do. And maybe you're there because you're the only light in that darkness. Maybe you're the best one for that situation. You see, too many people want what God never promised. They want 100% certainty, otherwise they won't act. They just sit and they wait and they hesitate and they ruminate. And they refuse to move forward in faith because they're, they're, they're waiting on some warning sign or some vision from God or some feeling. But instead of waiting for God to say, speak to me, your servant is willing, they never listen. Because they're not guidable, they're not moldable. Are we saying, here I am, Lord, send me? And are we willing to go wherever he sends us? Are we willing, like Jesus, to pray, not my will, but yours be done, because we are guidable and we want what God wants. Where he leads, I will follow step by step by step. In closing, here's, here's five things that I think, if we do some self-assessment, if we do... Um, Maybe an audit of ourselves. Put those on the screen. These are five things. Number one, is my heart guidable? 
Now, that sounds like an easy question, and you might even answer by saying, well, of course it is. But think about it. Are you open to whatever God wants? Or are you set in your ways? Some of you, absolutely, you're set in your ways with other things in life. But are you set in your ways when it comes to your discipleship? Are you guidable so long as God guides you where you want to go? I mean, whose will wins in your life? And you can't look at this begrudgingly. You can't look at this like Alka-Seltzer. Well, it tastes bad, but I'm going to take it because it's good for me. No. Being receptive to God's will, being guidable and moldable and shapeable means I'm all in. My life is in your hands. I'm not doing this begrudgingly. I trust that your will is best, that you know best. Secondly, have I studied the issue from every possible angle? Use your brain. Use your intellect. Pros and cons. Research. Use common sense. Number three, have I sought wise counsel? Before we made the move here, I called friends of mine who are preachers who made moves when their kids were young, and I said, you know, did it warp your kids forever? You know, how did that go? And, and we talked about those things. Seek wise counsel. You have, very, uh, you have a lot of wise people in this congregation that you can look to. Maybe people who have been through things that you're going through that can give you wise counsel. Number four, do the circumstances point in a particular direction? Where there, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Look to the open door. Can you see clearly that God is opening a door? Are people that you're counseling with telling you, yes, that looks like a golden opportunity. Yes, sometimes the door closes. I, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've prayed for doors to close because I think it'd be easier to make the decision. But are you looking at the circumstances to see if they point in a particular direction? And finally, ask yourself, am I willing to take the next step no matter what it is? No matter what it is, am I willing to step out? I've done the research. I've studied it from every angle. I've prayed about it. I've sought wise counsel. Time to stop all that and make a decision. Time to move forward. Am I willing to step out in faith regardless of what that looks like? Look, if you're, if you're wondering, okay, does God want me to marry Julie or Jennifer? And you're going to open the Bible and try to find that answer. You're not going to find it. If you open the Bible to try to see where God wants you to go to school, that's not going to be there. If you're waiting for God or for me to, to tell you, you know, how many children you should have, that's not, that's not going to happen. Now, you look to the Bible to find the principles that guide you through life. You pray about it. You seek wise counsel. You make yourself vulnerable to God's will. And I would say this. Instead of focusing so much on the decision, focus on God. If we believe anything about God, we should believe that if we make ourselves guidable, if we place ourselves in His hands, that He will guide us, that He will mold us and shape us into the type of disciple that He wants us to be and that we know we can be. So, the bottom line is we seek God's will. And, like this Plato we strive to be someone that God can squish and, 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 and mold and shape and, and, and put into any kind of form he wants so that we glorify him in everything that we do. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for another day, for an opportunity to be here, 
to worship together, to call you Lord, to place you on the throne. And may we do that as we leave here as well. It's easy to be a disciple on Sunday. May we seek to be a disciple all the other days as well. May we seek to follow your lead and be guidable. God, mold us and shape us into the type of disciples that you want us to be. And may we seek to glorify you and live out our purpose in every single thing that we do. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're here this morning, and maybe you need the prayers of this church family, Maybe you veered off course. Maybe you're not the disciple you need to be. Maybe you were at one point, but you're not any longer. Maybe you're someone who wants to be molded and shaped by God, but you haven't even started yet, and you're ready to take that first step. Let us help you with that as well. We want to help you to be guidable, because when all of us here are on the same page, being guided by the same God, reading from the same script, we can't help but succeed. So, Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need... Come now as we stand and as we sing.